Hey, good morning. I'm used to saying good evening because we have large group at night. So, good morning. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to give Justin a break. I know as a church planner, you don't really get weeks off. You don't get spring break like camp ministers do, or summertime like camp ministers do. So, glad to give him a break. Be here with you guys this morning. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 105. And just to kind of give you an intro into the book of Psalms, we're studying the book of Psalms uh, in RUF this semester, and we've been going through not all of them, but some of them. And uh, we're talking about them because they're the official hymn book of God's people. And so they're given to us to help us know how to deal with our emotions and deal with our struggles and deal with our experiences. They put words to the things that you and I go through. And so they're given to us by God so that we'll sing back to him our emotions, the things that we're experiencing. And the thing that's so assuring about the book is that it's given to us by God so he knows what we're going through whether we're mad or sad or upset or hopeless or hopeful or excited or thankful, the psalms are given to us so that we can sing these emotions back to him. So look with me at Psalm 105. We're going to look at this psalm this morning. This is God's word. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, the sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with, with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And the Lord made his people very fruitful and he made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. And over the next eight or nine verses, he begins to describe the plagues which help Israel escape from Egypt. And we'll pick back up in verse 37. It says, Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed. I'm sure they were after all those plagues, right? Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. 
It flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Please pray with me. Our God and our Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, that you have not left us alone, you have not left us in our sin, but you have come and pursued us, and you have now revealed yourself to us in your word. Lord, I pray that you would use your word and use your servant this morning to show us how gracious and loving you are, how powerful, how magnificent, how amazing you are. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us in a way, convict us in a way that would cause us to love you more and to love others more. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Everything has a story. Everyone has a story. This last week, I got to go spend time with my aunt and uncle. My uncle is 78, and he still works in a museum as an archivist. This, he was telling me about a project he had to do. He had to enter 16,000 artifacts into their um, system, into their computer system. And I was like, how long did that take you? Thinking like months. And he was like, oh, about a week. You know, so. I was like, okay. So I'm talking with him, and as we're talking, antique... Antiques Roadshow is on the TV. And I said, Uncle Buck, you, you'd be really good at that. Like, I, I could see you doing that. And he kind of looked at the TV, and he looked back at me. And this is what he said. He said, the difference between the things that we have in our museum and what these people have is that we know the stories of our artifacts. They have no ideas about theirs. And I thought, that... That was so helpful because it, this is why God gives us Psalm 105. It's to show us the story of his people so that we might sing about the story that he's given us. It's a historical psalm. That's what you would categorize it as, the type it is. It's a historical psalm given to us to show us Israel's story. And it's to show us how God is the author of this great story, how he's the author of redemptive history, how he's the author of this meta narrative that you and I know. And he wants us to hear this story and to tell this story. But he also wants us to understand that we ourselves are part of this story. We are, and we are stories ourselves. I mean, like you think about our lives, how we have millions of stories that make up our lives. Dan Allender is a, a writer who writes a lot about this idea of story. He has this quote. He says, we are, in fact, a unique once-on-the-earth life that reveals the story of God in a fashion that no one else will ever do in the way we are written to reveal saying everyone has a story. And in Psalm 105, you see that God is saying, my people have a story, and I'm the author of it. And so what I want to look at this morning is, because God is the author of our stories, first, we must glory in the author. Look how the psalm starts out. And just so you know, we're not going to get through every verse again, so you're welcome. Um, the beginning of the story, how it says, you know, we need to glory in the author of the story. Look at, look at what it says. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among his people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wonderful works. Glory in his name. Rejoice. Sing glory in the author of the story. And you might say, well, why? why? Why would these people get excited about the Lord? Why would they get excited about the author of their story? Well, 
They get excited because this psalm tells the story of the Israel forefathers. It tells their story and how they began. Look at verse 6 and who the first person named is. Abraham. Right? We all know Father Abraham. Right? Father Abraham. Father Abraham is mentioned because he's the beginning of Israel's story. In Genesis 12, God goes to him and says, Look, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to separate you out. I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing to other people, and I'm going to make your descendants be my people, my chosen ones. And that's how Israel begins. And he talks about his offspring because in Genesis 15, he, talks, he tells Abraham, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And so he's showing Abraham's the beginning. That's the beginning of your story, Israel. So that's what he starts with. And then in verses 8 through 10, he tells him to remember his covenant. And look who his covenant is with. Remember, he remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statue, to Israel, an everlasting covenant. Like he's going through... Abraham, who fathered Isaac, who fathered Jacob, and to all of Israel. And then in verses 12 to 15, he follows these stories of Abraham and his families and is showing what God did for them. Verses 16 through 24, God is authoring the story so that Israel will come and live in Egypt. And he talks about the story of Joseph. And then in verse 26, you see who he brings on the scene next. Moses. Okay? He brings Moses on the scene to lead Israel out of Egypt. In verses 37 through 41, after all the plagues, talks about how God delivers his people from Egypt and how he cares for them in the desert. He provides for them, giving them food. And then in verse 42, it says, For he remembered his holy promise in Abraham his servant. It's like he's tying it back around. The promise that he made to Abraham is now becoming fulfilled. And you see this and how their story is then furthered. In verses 43 and 44, it says, So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations. The lands here talk about the, the land of Canaan, which back in verse 11, he says, This is what I'm going to take you to. This is what I'm going to give you as your inheritance. As my people, you'll have the land of Canaan. And then you see that it's fulfilled in verses 43 and 44. And you notice how they come in. They don't come in like, oh, finally. Like they come in singing. They come in joyful. He brought his people out with joy. His chosen one was singing. They're excited. They're glorying in their Lord. They're glorying in the author of their story. And in Psalm 105, what we see is all these stories are part of this bigger story. All these stories, like, yeah, they're good stories that teach us things, but they're also part of this bigger story that God is telling part of this bigger story that's, that the audience would have known like gives them meaning and gives them identity and gives them purpose because they're part of this bigger story. And they would have gloried in these stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Israel and the land of Canaan because they would have known how great the author of their story was. And the psalm is telling them this story. And what I like about the end of it is how it ends the last three words. Like he gets done telling this whole story and his response is, praise the Lord. Glory in the author. Like get excited. This is who you belong to. This is the author of your story. 
And so you glory in the author of the, they would have gloried in the author of their own story because they would have seen the bigger story, how they were part of that as well. And so what this means for you and me is we have to understand that you are part of God's story too. I am part of God's story too. He is the author and we glory in him, not because we've done anything great, but because he hasn't left us alone. He said, look, I'm going to include you. I'm not going to leave you out. I'm going to write you into my own story, my own grand story of redemption, my own meta-narrative. I'm going to write you into it, and you are now a part of it. You are now a part of it. And our stories find, our stories find identity and meaning and purpose because they're part of his story. His story. And in Psalm 105, it becomes our story too. If you're a Christian, then this is how you began as the nation of Israel, back with Abraham. And so we get excited about that because we see that the, the glory of our author is presented here. But even more so now, we know more, way more of the story, right? We have all of the Bible, so we have the story even more so. And we see that we would glory in the author because it's been fulfilled even more. Because of the work of Jesus. Because of his life and his resurrection he has saved us. And so the covenants have been fulfilled ultimately in the Savior of the story. And so we can glory in him because of that. We can glory in him because of that, because he has saved us too. That's why we would do things like give thanks to the Lord, or call upon his name, or make known his deeds among the people, or we would tell others about him. Because we glory in the author of our story as well. So first we see that we glory in the author of the story, but secondly we see because, of God, because God is the author of our stories, we trust in the author of the story. We trust in the author of these stories. And I think some of us don't like the idea of story because it brings up our past. And it brings up things in our lives that maybe we're not proud of. Or it brings up things in our lives that are painful and that we don't like. And then it we don't want to explore it because it's just too uncomfortable. But what I want you to see here is Psalm 105 is chocked full of people who are in pain. People who knew what suffering was or what pain was. Look again, think about this. It talks first about Abraham. He and his wife could not conceive children. They did not have children. And they couldn't until God came and showed them. But for a hundred years they knew what it was like to not have children. To try and not. Again, Jacob... He's mentioned here too, right? He wrestled with God and his hip, his hip was forever changed. And so he knew what chronic pain was. Moses, the stutterer, is called to be given the task of being the prophet, the spokesperson of God. Like This is a, a chapter full of people who know what pain is. Then you see in verses 16, they, verses 16 through 22, they start describing someone else. In more detail, he started to tell the story of Joseph. Remember, Joseph is betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. It says, when they were few in number, like the Israelites, when they were few in number and of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked his kings on their account. I am reading the wrong part. Verses 16 through 22. Sorry. When God summoned a famine in the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what God, he had said, came to pass. And the word of the Lord tested him. 
The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to find the princess of his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. This is a man who is betrayed. This is a man who is abandoned. A man who was wrongfully imprisoned. A man who knew what pain was. He knew what injustice was. He knew what it was like to hurt and to question God. He knew what it was like to doubt. He knew what it was like to have pain. And yet God wove his story of pain into this bigger story of care and blessing that he's writing. He used Joseph's story of being sold, of being betrayed, of being a slave for his own purposes. And we're shown the story of Joseph and then the blessing and kind of given a glimpse of how God would use something like that so that we would trust in the author of our stories. And the painful experiences that you and I have, we don't want them. We don't like them. They really are awful. I'm not saying that they're not. I'm validating it. Like, they hurt. They're sad. They are. And sometimes we want to know why. Why do we have to have this part in our story? I say sometimes you don't get to know. But that doesn't mean that there's not a reason for it. Just because you don't know the reason doesn't mean that God doesn't have one. And the pain in our stories are actually given to us so that we will trust in Him. And you might say, why would I trust in Him? My story is painful. I don't like it. The things that I want that I don't have are the things that I have to deal with and carry burdens that I don't want. Why would I trust in the author? Why would I trust? I would say that's a good question. But I would also say, you have to understand that the author of the story wrote himself into the story wrote himself into the meta-narrative as a man. He humbles himself, he lessens himself, and becomes a man. And he enters into the story, and he experiences more pain than you and I could ever imagine. Not just by dying, but by bearing the, the wrath of God, by being broken off from his Father. In Jesus, we see how he comes to save us, to show us how he's the author is good and powerful and that we can trust him. And that's why we can trust him. And here's the thing. like I know that you and I, are, we're living in this broken and fallen world that's painful at times. And it's hard. But if we never explore our grief or our despair or our isolation or our loneliness or our hurt or our pain or our insecurity or even our anger, Jesus can never meet us there. Healing can never come. So you think about it, like you can know Jesus on a surface level, or you can know Jesus on all levels, to where he can make sense of your world, to where he can come and provide you hope, where he can come and meet you in your places of pain. One writer says, being a part of God's story is the only resource under which we can heal our wounds. Pain brings us to the Father whose heart is full of delight and joy for us returning to Him. It's only when we face the pain of our stories can we see how the author has pursued us and wooed us back to Him so that He might begin to heal us. So that He might begin to heal us. And it's only then that we're able to trust Him that we're able to trust that he's going to weave our story into his bigger story and even our story into the lives and stories of other people. 
And that's how we can trust in him, especially when we're faced with pain. And lastly, I'll say, um, God is the author of our story, and so we must live according to the author of the story. Right? Like Psalm 105 tells the story of Israel. And here's the result at the end. Here's the result that he wants. All of these things, you see it in verse 45, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. He authors the story, but then he shows them how to live. He authors the story and says, look, this is how I want you to live according to it. Let me ask you, who do you think is going to know best how to live in the story? The author. So he gives us his laws, he gives us his statutes, not to be a killjoy, but to be, someone, but to be something that can be fulfilling, something that can bring you joy, or something that can bring you comfort, something that can bring you compassion. Can bring us hope and wholeness and satisfaction even in the midst of our painful stories. And you have to think about, like, we live, you and I live by the stories that we tell ourselves. So if you walk in the room and you tell yourself, I'm the smartest person in this room, then anything that you say, I'll just try to tear it down or I'll dismiss it. Anything that you say, I'll just show how I know more. And I live according to that story. If you if you tell yourself the story of I'm not attractive or I'm ugly, then no matter what you do, you're gonna always believe that. No matter what kind of clothes you wear or what type of body you get or what type of um, compliments that you get, you're always going to believe that's who you are. Because that's the story that you tell yourself. That's the story that you tell yourself. And what this psalm is saying is that it's asking the question, whose story do you live by? Whose story do you live by? I mean, so often we live by the story that we want to live by. We live by the story thinking that we are the authors or I'm the center of the story and I'm going to do what I want to do because I know best. I know how to do this. I know better than the true author and I'm going to do what I want to do. And what this psalm is trying to do is trying to awaken you to something bigger than just yourself. It's trying to awaken you to something beautiful and it's God's grand story. It's trying to awaken you in your heart to a better story full of the resources that you need in the midst of your story, in the midst of what you're going through, whether that's joy and fulfillment, whether that's grace and forgiveness, or whether that's empathy and compassion. You're given the resources that you need. So living according to the author of the story, it allows God to be God and you to be you. So you can give up trying to be a control freak and have peace. You can give up walking around in your shame and have gospel confidence. You can give up walking around in your guilt trying to make up for all the things that you've done wrong. And you can have forgiveness and grace. You can give up trying to struggle and overcome your struggles yourself and have the power to change, to have hope. And so what we see in Psalm 105 is God is describing the story to his people so that they will sing about their story and they will sing about their author. And what's interesting is how they display the author of the story by looking back. But see, where we are today, we can also look at the author of the story and know things about him and it affects our lives. We can also look forward. Okay? You see the end of Revelation 21. You see the end of the story talks about the end of the Christian story being no more crying and no more tears and no more sin and no more death. 
That's the end of your story. And here's how, the, how it affects you. I'll just close with this. Uh, in seminary, my wife, being the smart woman that she was, convinced me to try Harry Potter, reading the books. So I read the first one in hopes that she would leave me alone if I just read one. Uh, but I got hooked, and I started reading them. And um, if you can't tell, I'm kind of a drama queen. And um, <laughs> Becca came home one day, and I was reading the seventh book, the end, you know, the final the final book, and I'm reading it, and I'm two-thirds of the way through, coming to the part where I realize Harry's going to have to die. And I'm laying on the couch, and my face is kind of like hanging off, arm went off, and the book is face down. And of course, that's when Becca walks into the apartment for the day. And I'm just laying there. I'm not moving. And she says, hey, and I'm like, hi. She says, what is wrong with you? And I just was like, Harry has to die. There's no way that this can end well. No way. There's none. There's no way it's possible. She said, David, you've read the first six books, right? Yes. The author's come through for you six times, right? Yes. Well, you can trust the author and keep reading. Now think about that for a second. Do you hear that? Like, glory in the author. She's written six books already that you like. Trust the author. Keep reading. Live by the author. You see, when we know the end of our stories, that gives us hope for now. It gives us hope now that you will one day be with the author of the story in all of his glory. And there will be no more crying and no more tears and no more sorrow and no more death anymore. And you won't have to trust him because you will see him. Your faith will be changed to sight. You'll be with him. And you won't have laws and statutes because you will perfectly want what he wants. And you will live perfectly with him. The author of the story. And you have to understand the life and work of Jesus has secured the ending of the story. That is your ending. If you are a Christian, that is the end of your story. And so we, just to, to finalize, because God is the author of your story, then we, must, well, then we must glory in the author of the story. And we must trust in the author of the story. And we must live according to the author of the story. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are a God who's gracious and that you have given us this idea of story that you have blessed us with it. And Lord, that you have allowed us to look back on our story and find hope and find comfort. And that you've given us the end of the story and it gives us hope. It gives us comfort. And Lord, I pray that as we go forward and live our lives, the things that we experience, that we would be able to access all the things that you show in your story and that we would know you, the author. We would give thanks and praise for who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.